The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do your customers trust you? And how can you create even more trust with your customers? To answer that question, Jody Daniels. Jody, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hey, nice to have you here. So, what does it mean to create trust with customers from your perspective? Well, we live in an era with so many marketing messages that are coming to us. Data is flowing in so many different directions. What it means is when a customer gives a company data, they buy something, they interact with you, that they feel like that company honors what they're what they're saying, that they're not going to sell the information, that they're not going to be secretive, that they're not going to kind of pull one on you. And instead, they're going to really value the relationship and create what you would imagine of any relationship, right? A strong foundation based on trust. You know, it seems like there's uh, another dimension to this. You know, one is that uh, you give them the information and you trust they're not going to sell it, which they all say they're going to. And frankly, I rarely believe that's true. But, but the second half is that they're going to do it in a way that isn't sloppy. Like I, we keep hearing about 142 million accounts got opened up and now we're on the dark web. And I mean, can we trust giving our information to companies at all? That's the bottom line, right? It is. That's a really big part of this situation and especially kind of the slimy part, right? So did I give you my information and you gave me just enough to make me believe you? but then really you're going to go and do something else. And, and we can see that in you know, the messages that you've been given, or maybe it was you know, buried in four-point font, or you had some box already checked, but you didn't even realize that. Right? How are companies interacting and communicating with you? Are they being honest and, and putting out all that information up front? Are they addressing any questions or concerns someone might have? Or are they just truly trying to hide it so they can keep doing what they want to? 
So, I, I mean, I guess companies have to think about whether they're in business for the short term or the long term, but we're in a different world. And, and the companies that want to get into the long term with their customers uh, owe them a certain amount of respect, I imagine. And uh, doing the things that you're talking about are, are not very respectful of the relationship. Absolutely. And, and I would say if you want more than just a one-time sale, that you would want to create, or even the first sale. Uh, so literally, uh, just, just the other day, I was talking about uh, people who are spending so much time trying to create the perfect email message. Should it have two exclamation points or four exclamation points? And what's the perfect subject line so it, it gets someone to open it? Well, that's kind of a bait and switch. So if I open it, great, but I might not actually click on anything. You didn't create a strong, valued relationship between you and I. You just treated me like a number and hope that you'll get so many opens. Really, a, a strong relationship is going to be predicated on, I understand who you are, I know what your needs are, and I want to honor that. Well, it, it, it seems to me like it kind of depends. Are you in a service business? Are you in a, in a, manuf- in a, in a product business? So that would be one thing. And then secondly, it sort of depends. Are you selling a low-priced product? Or are you selling a more expensive product? Do those things factor in a lot to the way that companies are interacting in, in the digital world? Or how, how does that happen? I'm actually finding that it doesn't matter quite as much whether I'm B2B or B2C from creating this really value-based conversation. Even in the B2B side, you see a lot of account-based marketing. So really using personal data to try and get at the actual person inside a company you're trying to sell to. Uh, some people might look at it as a small product. It's, it's an easier sale maybe for me to buy a $10 item or a $50 item versus something that you know, might be a thousands of dollars, right? It, it might be a longer sale. So actually in the longer sale, it's going to be even more of trying to create that relationship with me. It's, it might be a little bit longer term, a little bit harder to do, a lot more factors at play versus that, that short-term fix. But from a privacy point of view, I'm seeing companies really look at it the same. What about artificial intelligence? I mean, companies are using artificial intelligence to try to make predictions about how they sell to us, how they uh, think we're going to behave, how they think we're going to react. I mean, it's, it's not exactly the most genuine way of creating a relationship, but that's what companies are doing. I mean, I think, yeah, I think artificial intelligence is a fascinating area. At first, there's volumes and volumes of data, and it can really help us do good. There's operational impacts that can help artificial intelligence make our processes more streamlined. There's all kinds of really interesting use cases in the healthcare arena. Imagine if artificial intelligence could help us be able to make better healthcare decisions instead of what the insurance company tells us to do, but instead based on here's the best likelihood of an outcome. At the same time, when you start making decisions based on data, potentially without the human person involved, you start running into data ethics right? Where's the line of it's okay for me to use this data. It's not okay for me to use this data. Might there be discrimination that might be involved? So if I have all of this data and I decide you don't get this particular interest rate or you don't get this particular service rate, uh, you know, there's some discrimination involved in that. Or maybe I've chopped you off by accident. I didn't really mean to. But so artificial intelligence is interesting. There's really a place to kind of try and straddle the ethical considerations with the operational prowess that it can bring us. Human beings are having a hard time kind of getting their arms around this, aren't they? I mean, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, listen, you know, 20, 30 years ago, computers didn't even exist at all. And, and now we have to kind of bring them into our life. And 
And I, it just seems to me like a lot of people are struggling with a lot of these issues. So how are we going to, how are we going to get companies up to speed? I mean, what are we going to do? So it is a big issue. And I, I've served on a, a lot of panels actually addressing very much artificial intelligence and the use of data and what companies should and shouldn't be doing. And I think it really comes back to this idea of thinking about it first and breaking down, well, what is the data that's being collected? And what is the data that we want to be using? Who might we be sharing it with? What do I need to tell the the actual end user or individual about this data. So it's thinking about privacy and data much like we do, how much does something cost from a finance perspective? How many people do I need from an HR and resource perspective? Can I legally do that from a contract point of view? Right. Anytime companies think about a new project or new era, they're always thinking about finance, HR, legal, maybe technology. And here we want to start thinking about the privacy considerations as well. You know, see, one of the things that I think about, you know, when we were all kids, uh, they marched us into the library and they taught us the Dewey Decimal System about how to find books. And, you know, and then they marched us into, uh, you know, the uh, the office and they showed us how file cabinets are organized and alphabetical or whatever the way it was back then. But, you know, then computers come on the scene and there was no no marching. I mean, nobody marched me into uh, a class and told me how to organize my file system. So, you know, nobody told me how to protect data. Nobody told me how to, you know, do things with the website. I kind of trust other companies to do it. And we're all kind of making it up as we go along. And that seems like it's kind of the reason that we have this big problem where everybody's left to their own devices. Cause there's, there's not a lot of systems yet around a lot of this stuff. Do you, do you find that? Or am I, I mean, does that seem like in the ballpark? It is there's, there's been no laws uh, and, especially in the United States, most of the laws are always reactive. So we, we go on our merry way, we figure out our system. Someone does something that they probably shouldn't have. A bunch of people go up in arms. Now we have a law. Along the way, where we had all this digital data and people thought, well, I could just kind of create this digital footprint, but it's not really Jody. You don't know exactly it's me. It's just this cookie. It's just this IP address. And it was always considered a bit anonymous until lots of other companies came along and figured out, oh, I could string it all together and do all these really cool things. And then, oh, I can have all the data in a big data lake. Oh, I can put big data on top of it and analyze it. So it's just been this continuous of a foundation, almost like a data foundation. We just kept stacking up really high. And it's kind of like what we learned in kindergarten. There's always a bad actor that then sets the rules for everything that we have to do. And it's been a bit the same in the corporate side of, um, you know, how data has been used and, and where we are today. Yeah. You know, one of the other things is that, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, we learned about cookies or whatever, uh, whatever number of years ago. And, and that's kind of what we remember about cookies. But then it turns out that the technology is moving so far, so fast that everything we might've learned 10 or 15 years about cookies or how to protect ourselves is completely out of date. So let's, let's talk about um, what, are, what are the real issues that, uh, that businesses, and remember, these are uh, business executives mostly that are listening here. So what are, what are things that business executives need to be thinking about for their company, for their customers, for their relationships with their customers? I mean, what are the big issues that are at stake here? Well, for starters, there's a number of new privacy laws that are on the horizon uh, and are here. So if your business uh, or our listeners today, if they do business in Europe and they don't have to have a physical location there, they could just be here in the United States and they might have EU customers. They might be trying to attract EU customers or even they might be a service provider 
and their base is sending them data from the EU, they might also have to still comply. So you have to comply with this big new EU privacy law. It's called GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. And anyone who's gotten a lot of emails about, we've updated your privacy notice and the numerous cookie banners that you're seeing nowadays across the websites, you have GDPR to thank. So that's a big new privacy law. And we can get into that about the big details. And here in the United States, there's also some new privacy laws that are are coming on the, the docket. Effective January 2020, there's a big new one in California, your home state, called the California Consumer Privacy Act. It has a variety of requirements that companies have to adhere to. So we're now getting to a place of having to manage businesses from a privacy point of view at a regulation and at a legal level. And then, of course, we have what we started our conversation with, which was what do customers expect? And they expect that they can have a trusted relationship with, with their companies or the companies that they do business with. So it's a matter of thinking about all the different places that companies are collecting, they're using, they're sharing data and understanding that trail, really knowing what data does my company collect and what am I doing with it? What did I tell the person I'm doing with it? And, and what other choices um, have I offered that individual? So are, are the people that are going to be overseeing this, are these going to be attorneys or what kind of people uh, do companies need to uh, put on their teams to keep an eye on these, these issues? So I think it's really a cross-functional team of attorneys and consultants, as well as, uh, depending on the size and complexity of the company, some software tools. And there's a wide variety of different software tools. This, this is not meant to be a, a huge implementation, much like you might have thought of a you know finance implementation. There's plenty of cloud-based tools available to really make this part of the process, because I think the most important thing is to realize that managing data, managing it responsibly is here to stay. It just needs to be a component of a business, much like all the other ones that we've been talking about. And so we don't want to think about it as just this thing that I have to do now. I'm done. I I did my compliance checkboxes and I'm off to the races. Instead, we really have to figure out how do I make it just part of the fabric of what I'm doing? all the time. And I think, uh, you know, attorneys and consultants and sort of some internal team members who are familiar with what's happening will create a really awesome, strong foundation. And then part of that team's responsibility is what do I need to do to make this sustainable in the company? You know, so I, I really hear two different things. One, I hear that there's a compliance component and we just, you know, like it or not, you're checking the boxes. And I think most uh, companies would call this a, uh, necessary evil. They just have to check the boxes and make sure they're in compliance, especially if every state in the union starts coming up with their own rules and we don't have federal rules and there's no safe harbors and all the other things that happen. But the the second part is, it seems to me that there's a cultural issue inside companies that need to be uh, considered. So what does a company need to think about in terms of caring about their customer, caring about the customer's uh, rights, caring about issues related to the customer, uh, because that's, that's not check the box. I mean, that, that they still may not get it according to the law, even if they're concerned about their customer, because the law is the law and that may be irregular, but what, what are, what are ways that companies consider their culture? That's a really important point. And I think it's, you know, to try and think of the customer first, 
And, you know, we think about this in so many other areas of, of business and, you know, devising a new product or strategy. And we're going to think about the customer first, not necessarily what we think they want to, to purchase from us. But the same here, imagine if each employee in the company thought about the data as if, well, gosh, that's my data. Am, am I okay with us collecting it however we're collecting it and using it in the manner that we're we're doing. So when we put kind of the customer in the, in the center, and honestly, about two-thirds of Americans don't trust companies right now. They don't feel like companies are uh, managing their data smartly, and they're, they're looking for uh, advertising to change. They're looking for regulation to change. So when we think about that com- customers are a little uneasy about what's happening, I think if we Again, think about them first, not just as metrics and through all the business processes, you know, what is the marketing message to them? So maybe we have a list of product features and selling points. Let's also address and think about and anticipate what might the customer be wondering when I purchase this, how that data is being used. And let's put that out there. Let's create a trust page that says, gosh, we really care about you. We value you as a customer and we want you to know this is the kind of data that we're collecting from you. This is what we're going to do with it. If you have any questions, this is where you go, right? You, you really create sort of that open relationship. And it, it all starts, I think, from the executive leadership of a company and making sure that each of the employees know their role because every employee has a role, whether they're creating a marketing message, whether they're in IT protecting it, uh, whether they're creating the product and service, everyone has a different part of their, their role in protecting data as well as using it and creating that that strong relationship in the company. You know, what, what's interesting about that, what that makes me think about is we, we recently had a guest on the show uh, who's an, uh, an ethicist, somebody who's an expert in ethics. And, and he really believes that you should put the company's values right on the website. I mean, they should be right front and center, tell the whole world you know, how you think about things, uh, you know, and, and that's hard to do because everybody wants to say the nicest things and frequently those things are just not accurate or whatever. But it also sounds like one of the, the values needs to be a value about protecting the privacy and the integrity of their relationship with the customer. So that's kind of an interesting uh, add-on to something that somebody else said, uh, probably, and that will probably become a best practice. I mean, are there already developing best practices in the data field or is it just so new that we don't have it yet? I think it's a combination. I think you have a couple companies who are really putting privacy first. I think Apple's a really amazing example. So one could argue a variety of ways what they feel about Apple, but Apple believes in privacy first. It puts its TV commercials and it's not always mentioning its awesome new features. Instead, it's talking about privacy and explaining here's what, why our phone helps manage your privacy. And I think that's a good example of a company putting a stake out there of how they feel. You're seeing a lot more privacy notices not be just, you know, the four-point font buried at the bottom of the page. There's there, You're showing whole pages um, that they're doing it. You're absolutely seeing values that are around privacy. You're even seeing privacy principles. So there's right regular company values plus privacy principles. And some some people will, will post that publicly. If nothing else, they definitely have it internally where all the employees know what they need to be doing. So there, there probably is not yet a best practices that companies are adopting that, that everybody kind of agrees is kind of, I mean, what you're saying is that there are some good ideas and there are companies who are starting to do uh, things in a good way, but it sounds like industry-wide, um, 
many companies really don't have great guidelines and especially middle-sized companies. I mean, a lot of these guidelines come from the largest companies where they have enormous resources to develop this. Uh, and then little companies or medium-sized companies borrow it in order to, you know, kind of piggyback on their, uh, their big brothers and sisters. So, uh, you know, just as a way of thinking about that. So I, I think that's fair to say, you know, privacy is a new, new field, new industry. It's nascent. It's, uh, it's developing and it's developing on a variety of fronts, whether it's the ethics side, legals making us do it, customers are demanding it. It's coming from, from a variety of different standpoints. But I've talked to some also some really small companies, I mean, teeny tiny startups who want to bake privacy into it first from the ground up because they believe fundamentally that this is the way to do it. Um, I also see some companies, small to medium, who kind of feel the pressure from the large companies, especially if they might be customers, because those companies are kind of pushing down of you must have these types of privacy principles in place or we won't do business with you. Um, I'm seeing the same thing from an M&A and an investor standpoint, where I won't invest in your company unless I feel good about your privacy and security practices. And so kind of from all different fronts, it's starting to get pushed down and and then we're starting to see the the base layer of what well what does it mean to to have a strong privacy program and what it means to have a strong privacy program is is still developing especially because all the compliance obligations from that legal side that you mentioned are just getting created i'll tell you personally uh i like when the money uh makes some demands i, I prefer that over when the government starts making laws uh, i i prefer when two people uh, sit down and they have a conversation about what they want to do and they work it out uh, instead of the government forcing uh, legislation to tell us what to do. So uh, it, it's very refreshing to hear, hear you say that uh, investment companies, investment banks, uh, the markets are starting to demand this of certain companies. And, and that actually is a really good place to start. I mean, that's a really good place. And actually, uh, it's probably a great opportunity for you to start to uh, you know, promote a, a list of best practices, do a white paper. You know? Excellent, excellent idea. I will. Uh, I'll get. I'll get started in that. But I really yeah. have heard from investors who say some of the very first questions I'm going to ask is, "What are your security and privacy practices?" And I've also seen companies potentially lose sales because the contract came in and required a bunch of different privacy uh, requirements, and they had to meet them to be able to keep the sale. Yeah. Well, you know what? And that just makes a lot of great sense. So we started in the beginning that there were really two sides. One is, uh, you know, the company, uh, you know, protecting the customer, uh, you know, just in, in giving them some privacy and telling them we're not going to abuse your data. The second is where the company doesn't have its own security lockdown and the company's data gets stolen. And, you know, the first one, we voluntarily put data into a company and we have to trust them. The second one, we, we don't maybe have a choice. It's like our bank or like our credit cards or like our, uh, I don't know, whoever they are. And we have to give them certain information in order to work with them. And then uh, they get uh, breached, maybe not on purpose, but through their incompetence or, or whatever the reason is. Uh, how do we protect against these things? I mean, what are, what are strategies that consumers are using? Are they using like fake, fake emails or are there the the multiple emails or uh, what, what are people doing? Sure. So, you know, some people will have separate email accounts. Um, they get really smart on phishing. They use uh, phishing emails, really being able to, to hover over some of the links. A lot of 
banks, financial institutions, account-based people, if they send you an email, they don't generally include links to specifically go change XYZ. Uh, so, you know, that's always a bit of a hint of if you get an email like that, that might not might not be so accurate. And phishing is, is a very significant issue at a consumer level and a company level. They're also using multi-factor authentication. So, you know, especially in banks, you can go and, and add to your account and not just a username password. Send me a one-time passcode, which gets you a text message, gives you a little six-digit code. You go back to the website and can upload that. Dropbox has that. Google has Google Authenticator has that for a number of different sites. So there's a variety of different ways to kind of at least add another layer of protection. So you'll know if someone else is trying to log in to your account. Of course, credit monitoring, right? Really try and monitor your your credit report and your actual financial statements to see if anyone's you know grabbed your identity and things like that. But those those are the companies that have uh, been attacked the worst because those are the giant repositories. I mean, you know, know. if people rob banks because that's where the money is, they they break into uh, you know the credit monitoring services because that's where the data is. Right. Yeah, you can you can freeze your credit. So I can tell you that after the Equifax breach in in my hometown of Atlanta, uh, my credit is is frozen. So in all all three, it's quite a process to do it, but it's it's a worthwhile investment uh, to to put the time in. So if something happens, I, you know, it's a little bit harder. I, I'm trying to make it harder for the bad actors. I can't control what the big companies are doing. So at least I can control and make it a little bit harder for someone to try and get our data. So what, what do companies do? And, and remember, our show is about the inside track. And, and I will tell you that this, this, this is the inside track, the best, smartest, and fastest way to uh, protect yourself, protect your customers, create trust, identity, the whole thing. You know, what are things that companies do to uh, protect themselves, for example, <clears throat> not consumers, but protect themselves from getting fished by other people. So in other words, you send something to the procurement department that says, pay this bill. I mean, what kinds of internal controls and, and other things are companies employing to, uh, to make sure their employees uh, don't get tricked into doing something with company resources? So awareness and training is, is really one of the very first and most important pieces. I mean, obviously from a technical standpoint, there's there's firewalls, there's network controls, and it sort of depends on the industry and the types of systems that they have, whether it's cloud-based, on-premise. There's, there's a variety of very specific controls that you would want to put in place. If there's software updates, you'd want to make sure you're actually updating on the software. There's anti-malware, there's um, vulnerability scans, you can do penetration testing. There's really a number of security features uh, or security protocols that you can do. And Often the larger companies have more of them compared to the smaller companies. Also depends if you're cloud-based, you know, again, or more internal. But awareness is one of the very, the, the biggest areas of risk. And I don't mean just a single program. I spent an hour checking a bunch of boxes because I bought some type of training. It's really meant to be all the time training and awareness and really educating employees. If you see something strange, what should you do? And this is what a phishing email looks like. And this is what protecting your data means. Don't print it off. Don't store it to your hard drive. Don't keep your laptop in plain view. Companies should have laptops all encrypted. So at least if there's a laptop that gets stolen in the backseat of an employee's car because they didn't follow our advice of don't do that, at least the, the laptop would be encrypted and you could easily wipe it in it you know, whatever was there, someone else might not be able to get into it. 
So there's the, the awareness piece I would say is, is critical. People change roles all the time and making sure everyone understands again, their role is really important. And then you can kind of layer on the other ideas that I had mentioned. You know, it, it just keeps coming back to uh, company culture. There, there has to be a culture of awareness. There has to be a culture of concern, consideration, uh, you know, and it's, uh, I, I think as the, uh, I think as we march forward into this next uh, decade, uh, it's just smart business to be concerned about your customers. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, the United States has gotten softer and nicer and, and which, which is all great, but it's just, it's good business to be concerned about other people. I love that you say that because a big phrase that I have is that privacy is good business for so many reasons. It's, it's, you know, from a fundamental money side, right? Prevention's always the best medicine. So let's not have a data breach. Let's not get into trouble. Those are costly experiences that we don't want to have. It creates a competitive advantage for us compared to someone else over here who might not be taking it seriously. And it increases customer loyalty and engagement and builds on that trust relationship that we started our conversation with. Well, companies also have to realize and they have to remember that consumers have more power than they've ever had with, because of social media. I mean, a really disgruntled person can go and make a big mess online. I mean, you know, listen, accidents happen uh, and you might have to hire some, uh, you know, damage control people. But, uh, you know, if you really have bad practices, if you really do things that are just terrible, and, and I'm, I'm not saying you're one of these companies that open, sell something, closes, and then open another company a week later. I'm talking about a legitimate business. Uh, if they don't have the kind of culture and the kind of things in place that you're talking about, uh, they really could end up finding themselves on, on, on really the end of some tweets that they don't want to be on. It, it's true. And consumers have, you know, Google. I can go find many choices and can pick which one is it that I like, whether I'm B2B or B2C. I rely easily on reviews. Again, as you mentioned with social media, my choices are, are infinite and I can research a lot about the company. Again, going back to what am I communicating on my, on my website to be able to lure that person in and create that relationship with them. That's an opportunity to explain what my principles are and to explain I really care about you as, as the company or individual. And that's, um, it's a great place to start, a really wonderful place to be able to emphasize it's just good business and, and communicate that. So let's, let's, uh, let's wind down with, with one more topic. Uh, these um, Echo devices, the, all the Alexas and all, the, all these kind of devices, uh, and, and, and she's lighting up now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even talk about her behind her back. Then she, no, no, I got a good story for you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, are the, what are the privacy concerns with that? I mean, I've got this thing in my office. Is it listening to every private conversation I have? Is it recording everything that I say? Is Big Brother, uh, you know, listening to me or do I need to turn it off and be concerned or give, give us some insight about this? It's always listening. It is always listening and it's always recording. Now, it's supposed to be triggered by wake words. As more and more companies build skills, there are more and more triggers of wake words. So interesting example, my funny story is I was on stage with a co-presenter at a big conference and that person's Apple Watch, Siri, just started talking because it thought we were talking to her and we weren't. <laughs> so we're mid-presentation and she starts going off. It made for a really awesome conversation because we're talking about privacy and digital marketing, but they are 
always listening. And you, you do really want to be careful about when they're on and what you're, what you're speaking about, right? Don't ask financial information out in public or in a room full of people if you don't want them to hear. Boy, this is this is really a weird thing. I mean, I got the thing in, in my office, and it's it's a cool thing. I I kind of like it. I mean, I I, I like what it great. does. There's lots of utility for them. They're really valuable. I mean, I thought that um, I don't know. I, I thought I read somewhere that you can. It doesn't record everything and only records certain things. But I don't know what the truth is. People, you know, people are saying things like. Uh, they talk about buying a car. And next thing you know, they start seeing ads for cars on their Yahoo feed or on their Google thing. And it just, you know, it's very hard to know what's true. Is it a coincidence? Did it come from, uh, from the Alexa device? I mean, where did it come from? Well, that could be from a variety of places. So it could be they've registered a new account. They could be because before they bought the car, they were researching it. It could be because, you know, there are other microphones on their social media and their phones might've been listening and it could be if there's Wi-Fi in the car and they've done some type of connection, maybe they've linked their Facebook or something like that. Um, it would be kind of useless though, especially coming someone who used to target you and stalk you for ads at AutoTrader. I, I wouldn't want to waste my ad impression if you've already bought the car. My hunch is if it's really advertising for the car, that it's because I was doing some searches and talking about it, that it's picking up either the physical search on the internet or the, the microphones, you know, from these various devices. You know, that might totally be it, that they were, uh, that they did some other research and they were talking about it, but they forgot they did the research and they only remember talking about it. And then they blame the Alexa device for over listening. I think so. so. I mean, the, the, the connected car is, is a whole nother conversation about the kind of information it's collecting and what we're doing with it. But as an advertiser, I, I don't really want to waste my money on serving you an ad if you've already bought my car. But that's a whole also another conversation of the ad industry and how do you know if I bought a car and when I should stop the ads? You know, it's an interesting conversation for that. <laughs> well, Jody, this is a really complicated uh, and scary area, you know, for for companies and and listen and, and I'm sure that companies need uh, advisors and consultants and uh, we're going to put your uh, contact information in the show notes so people if they want to reach you if they want to ask questions uh, and, and hopefully you would be available to uh, to our listenership if that happens. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I really want to help uncomplicate privacy and explain it and, and help companies realize how they can implement it within their companies and, and make it not so scary and not so terribly cumbersome. Well, listen, like you said, privacy is good business. I mean, being a decent company is good business in the long run. We just have to be focused on the long run. So Jody, thank you very much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to speak with you and thanks for sharing your insights and the inside track on Profit from the Inside. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. The inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today.
Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.